today's episode is a part of Minority Money Podcast, We Need to Talk series. This series gives your host an opportunity to pivot away from some of our usual topics to talk about more current events. The We Need to Talk series will give us an opportunity to discuss issues with other experts and talk about solutions to these issues. I hope you enjoy this installment of the new series. As always, please let us know what you think of this new segment of the show by either writing a review on Apple Podcasts or sending us an email. I present to you the We Need to Talk series. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Imlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Today, we are getting into our series of We Need to Talk, and I am joined by three lovely ladies today. And we're going to have a very, very good conversation on a Black woman's perspective about what's going on in our country right now. So today, I have Chloe Moore, Lauren Williams, and Angela Moore all here to share their perspective with us. So I want to have the ladies introduce themselves, tell you a little bit about them, and I'll start with you, Angela. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Angela Moore, and financial planning is my second career. I'm from Germany originally. My mom is white German and my dad is black American from Alabama. And I've been in a lot of different environments culturally and everything. And years ago, I became a financial advisor because I really wanted to make a difference in the world. So now I own a practice called Modern Money Advisor that works with professional women, Gen X, on wealth accumulation. And I'm based in Miami. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Lauren, we'll go to you. I like the way you laid the groundwork, Angela. So I'm Lauren Williams. My dad's Trinidadian. So I was going to say I'm Trinamarian, but that's not really a thing. I just made that up. So my father is of Trinidadian descent and my mother is from Detroit, Michigan. I'm raised between Pittsburgh and Detroit because my parents split up. Environmentally, I was the only black girl in my graduating class. I am married to a white man. And I am four years into financial planning. I run my own firm called Worth Winning. And my goal is to be able to help people of color, young professionals and professional athletes better organize their finances. So I've been doing that for four years and focusing a lot on people who have lesser incomes because I don't think that they should have the barrier of not being able to get access to financial planning. So that's a little bit about me. Nice. I mean, we're not going to not bring up your athletic career, so you can talk oh. about that a little bit. I mean, you might well bring that up. I have forgot, y'all. <laughs> um, I am a four-time Olympian. I am the first American woman to earn a medal in both the Summer and the Winter Olympics. That's kind of a big deal if y'all didn't know that. So that's a big deal. So thank you, Lauren. And Chloe. I was wondering if she was going to leave that out. <laughs> we won't let that happen. No way. Yeah. I told you I follow Angela's lead. I was like, okay, sprinkle, you know, the subject in there and then go back to finance. And yeah. So I'm Chloe. I've been in the financial services industry for 16 years. So I started as a financial planning major and this is all I've ever done my entire career. And I work traditionally for like high net worth uh, individuals who are mostly white families and individuals. And so I started my firm as a way to help more people that, you know, I can relate to. So younger professionals, people of color people in underserved communities, such as, you know, women, LGBT community as well. And I work primarily with tech employees and the employees are generally, you know, high income employees and they have stock compensation. Nice. 
So as you all can hear, we have some very qualified women here to speak about their experience and the perspective of Black women. So we just jump right in. I'm gonna let whoever wants to answer the question first. How do you feel about the recent events that have been taking place here, here in the news? I have mixed feelings about everything that's going on. You know, generally, I'm just sad that we're still here in 2020. After all that our parents have gone through, our grandparents, our ancestors, that you know, people are still not acknowledging that we have a big problem in the United States that needs to be addressed. But at the same time, I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful that to see so many people that are getting fired up uh, about what's going on, people that are you know, starting dialogues and having discussions, having tough conversations, and really wanting to make things better. Hopeful is a good way to describe it. You know, every day on an emotional roller coaster, from a friend saying, I'm going out to protest, to, you know, me checking in on her every hour, then, you know, clients writing in and saying, like, Lauren, we stand with you, you're not invisible to us, and just, you know, having this, like, outpouring of love, to some other friends that are super angry and saying super hateful things, and, like, you understand where it's coming from, but it's a lot for you to digest, so you're kind of being hit that so much by so many different emotions that it's hard to kind of sort through and decide, like, what do I really feel right now? Yeah. And just to add to that, I think I've been feeling overwhelmed because in so many of the groups and organizations that I'm part of, I may be the only Black person in the group. And in a way, kind of had to step up into a leadership position during this time and speak out and lead the conversations. Sometimes the conversations that people don't want to have or they don't feel comfortable having that I've had to kind of take the lead in a lot of ways. In some situations, the lead has just been put on me. And it's a lot of emotional stuff going on. It's overwhelming. I don't feel like just because I'm the Black person that I'm the most qualified to talk about these topics. I feel underprepared. And in a lot of ways, especially at the beginning when all of this really first started happening, I began to feel like some of the people I call friends and associates just did not care about me or the issues going on that affect me and affect my family. So, I think that this has been an emotional time for all of us, ups and downs, but you know, I totally agree with everything that you guys are saying and everything that you've been feeling. It's crazy because I posted this on social media yesterday, but it took a global pandemic with no sports, no concerts, no vacations to get the world to sit down and have no choice but to watch what's really happening to Black people in America, right? Zero distractions. What are the odds of that? And it had to be like a divine intervention, I think. I think that all of these things set in motion to really have people sit down and see what was going on. Because for so long, our cries have been treated as if we were just complaining. You know, it was just like, oh, well, this stuff really isn't going on. And so I think when people can hear the experiences, then it's like, wow, well, I didn't realize that. And so this is why I want you guys to tell your experiences as Black women. You know, and each of you gave a little bit of background. Lauren, your husband is white. My wife is Mexican and we have a son now. And so it's like, okay, so now there's a little black boy running around here that belongs to my wife, who's Mexican. And so this was something that, you know, it changed the way she thought about the way that black men were treated, because eventually her son was going to be a black man. What I'd like to get is as comfortable as you feel sharing and as candid as you can be. Let's talk about some of the experiences that you guys had in general and in financial services. Let's talk through that 
whoever wants to jump in and go ahead. I'll start, you know, financial planning is a second career for me. I've been a financial planner now for 12 years, I believe. And before that I was in the car business and I was also in finance. I was a finance manager. And one of the most, I guess, harshest moments of racism I encountered was when I was in the car business and I was, you know, completing someone's paperwork. And I asked this person, it was a woman, I asked her for her physical address because she had given us a post office box address. And I said, do you mind if I have your physical address? And she said, no, I don't want to give it to you. And I said, well, the lender requires us to have a physical address. And she looked at me and she just got up and walked out. And the salesperson ran after her and said, you know, what's going on? And she was like, I don't want that nigger doing my paperwork. And, you know, I've had these situations that are so blatantly racist, but then I've also had these like silent racism encounters, you know, even as a child, like just things that are just ignorant comments that aren't meant from a hateful place, but more so from more being insensitive, not knowing better, being uneducated. And those are the comments like, how did you get your hair that way? How did you get your skin so tan like that? You know, just things like that and constantly making me to feel like I'm different or, you know, oh, your hair looks so much better straight. You know, there's like these micro aggressive and like racist undertones in a lot of the things that people say. And you often feel singled out and it's very difficult to say anything in response to these type of comments. And, you know, once I started in the financial industry, I worked at a very racist place. I'm not going to say who everyone already knows if they've heard anything from me in the past, but, you know, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, which is, you know, at the time, 61% Black. And it was an office with 163 advisors. And I could literally count on one hand the amount of Black people that were there. And, you know, those of us that were there were dropping like flies. And I remember going through and kind of like, hey, I'm Angela, you know, and people wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't even look at me in the office. And it wasn't like stated racism, but I felt it deep inside me. Like I would walk into the office and there would be anxiety on my chest. My chest would hurt. I felt so uncomfortable there. And I felt uncomfortable the whole five years I was there. And after I left, they had this huge, you know, class action lawsuit discrimination against black advisors. And I remember going to Chicago to the law firm that was controlling this class action lawsuit. And they had stacks of papers on this long table, paper everywhere. And they were like, we just want to hear some of your stories. We don't want you to try and prove to us that you've been discriminated against. They were like, we already know that. We have all the data. That's what all this is. And they were like, Angela, the five years that you were at the firm, your average white male counterpart received 17 accounts distributed to them on an annual basis. Do you know how many accounts I ever had distributed to me? Zero. I didn't even know that that was going on. I didn't know that existed. You know, not to mention that when I went to the firm, I had over eight years of experience. I graduated with top honors from my university. I was in the top 10 in sales every single year you know, in my past employment record. And when they hired me, they were paying me $40,000 a year, which I remember thinking like, I can't even live on this. But I took it because I wanted to be an advisor so badly. 
Well, come to find out, you know, my white colleague who got hired the same day as me, who literally was fresh out of undergrad with no work experience, was making 75000 base. So, you know, these things are real. It's not us imagining things. And I think that the hard part for me had always been like, if you bring something up, people tell you you're overreacting, you're making a big deal about nothing, like it's all in your mind, you know, and really you feel it, you feel what's going on and you know it. And some of these situations are just confirmation that this stuff is going on. And you know, what's crazy is I was on another podcast and I told this story and I immediately had all these other women reaching out to me saying, I'm going through that same thing right now. And I'm like, what? It's 12 years later. This is still going on. That's unbelievable that it's the same thing is still happening. Just listening to you talk and the experience that you have, is there anything else you want to share on that? I'll let the other ladies talk. <laughs> okay. Lauren, Chloe, who wants to go? I'm going to give it to Chloe. <laughs> but yeah, I've had very similar experiences to Angela. Yeah, just like I said, I've been in the industry for my whole career. And my first job, there was one other black person, a woman, uh, but she wasn't an advisor. She was in an administrative role. And then my second job, I was the only black person. And then my third job, I was one of two black women. The other person was in an administrative role. And so just a lot of the same like microaggressions, being grossly underpaid and knowing that I was being grossly underpaid. My first job out of college, I remember we had to get all of our licensing exams. I got three licenses uh, within a matter of like less than six months. And I had a colleague that was also hired at the same time as me. And I got a smaller bonus than him when we came to our annual bonuses. And he hadn't passed a single exam and I passed three. And just even, I mean, I know I've told you this, Emily, before, like I was in this industry for 10 years and I never hit $100,000 in salary after being in the industry for 10 years. And I know for sure some of my colleagues were making at least that or probably more. And in year one or two. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just like the bonuses that were getting, you know, doled out to people and just knowing like what my bonuses were, being questioned about my intelligence, giving excuses of like why I couldn't get promoted or why I couldn't, you know, do this or do that constantly moving the goalposts. There were just, you know, promotions that were hit or just certain measures that, you know, you had to reach. And once I got to the company, those things changed or there were just different levels. And so that was really difficult for me. Because we talked about this before. Is there anything else you want to share? And I'm not trying to force you to say anything. I'm just saying, is there anything else? And then if not, then we'll go to Lauren. But if you got mm. anything on your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about anything specific. Okay. I'm just saying just in general, you know, I think yeah. we're good there because I'm going to open up some other stuff yeah, later. The worms so. you want to open? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and peel those back a little later. <laughs> go ahead. The thing you said about having your intelligence questioned, I've had that happen to mm -hmm. me as well. You know, I had my own practice within a firm and then I later joined a group. And when I had my own practice before joining the group, I had several clients that were well over a million dollar plus status, right? And then when I moved to the group, they questioned my ability to work with clients in that range. And they began taking those clients from me and giving me smaller accounts in return, almost to say like, you can't manage this. And I remember there was a big celebrity client that I had been going after. And when I went to the partners for help, and this was a African-American celebrity client, when I went to the partners for help, they brushed me, ah, oh, it's a waste of time. You know, you're wasting your time, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I ended up getting that account and it was, you know, 
several million dollars, all of a sudden they wanted to take that account from me. And at that point I put my foot down and I was like, I refuse. And it got to the point where I was shunned and I had to leave the firm. I mean, it was that bad. It was like, either you turn this over to us or we're blackballing you, you know? And I just couldn't take it anymore. I, I'm out because you guys think I'm stupid, clearly, you know, and it's crazy. It's great to have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we need to talk. <laughs> Unintended. Lauren, go ahead. Lauren, talk to us. Well, my experience is a little bit unique because I did 10 years as a professional athlete before coming into the financial industry. And so I am unique in the sense that I never worked for really, almost anybody. I had two internships and then I decided to start my own business. So <laughs> I took a pretty unorthodox road, but then also just kind of like, yeah, the hardest road travel to have, I will say for sure, in the sense that, you know, to go straight from, you know, no experience to little experience to I'm running my own firm. I say that the reason I started with my own firm was because I very quickly realized that I wasn't going to fit in, that I did not want to do financial planning the way that it has traditionally been done. I did not want to work with old, rich, white people. So, you know, like I said, my passion behind starting my business was athletes were not getting the service that they needed. Young professionals that looked like me were not getting the service that they needed. I had financial advisors and I did not get the service that I needed. So it was very simple for me as I kind of started to make my way through this industry and learn more about the options that were available to me that I was not going to fit in at a predominantly white firm. I was not going to go sit at a desk all day and do it the old school kind of financial plan. Like, it was just like, that's not an option for me. And just by simply looking around and I think maybe having, you know, rose colored glass, I'm not not sure what color my glasses were, but like just coming from a sports industry where I already was not used to doing things status quo or, you know, sitting in or fitting in, it was like the only way I got paid as an athlete was to stand out, to be different, to work hard, you know, and to excel above and beyond. I was not trying to just show up and, you know, take what I got. Uh, The thing that I'd say I experienced most as I did enter the industry was, you know, being looked at like I was a rare unicorn or dinosaur or like, how'd you get here? So as I said, I was the only black girl in my graduating class. I'd been in predominantly white environments quite a bit during, you know, my childhood and my young adult years. But like, even though I am used to it and I can navigate that world well, it's not that I'm oblivious to the fact that when I walk in a room, I'm the only one that's brown or I'm one of three or four people that are brown. And I'll say when I joined the financial industry, the thing that kind of stood out to me about being brown was, like I said, the kind of way that people flocked in a like, oh, this is the rare exhibit. And the questions were more kind of interrogative in nature than they were actually inquisitive. And I felt very put off by that. So uh, like I said, having been in multiple environments, it's like, "Uh, okay, I'm in a room with white people. You know, nonetheless, there's some things that come with with those conversations that you just know that they're going to happen. I felt like that happened kind of at a, a new level in the financial world. So, you know, it was like I said, the line of question would be something like, oh, you know, what, what firm are you with? Oh, I run my own firm. Well, where did you work before? And I was like, I didn't. I had an internship, you know, prior to, and I'm new to the space. Well, do you have any degrees? Like, I'm a certified financial planner. Yes. So mm-hmm. and we, we know that's one of the prerequisites, like, necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not really sure, like... Mm-hmm. Why did you start your own firm? And it's just this line of like, there's digging, digging. And then someone, at some point I'd be found out in the room as to be an Olympian. And that would be the kind of overarching thing that would just come and sweep over everything. So somebody would somehow tell 
Mr. Awkward trying to figure out where I came from. And I'm kind of keeping things close to my vest about like, I don't owe you anything to tell mm-hmm. you about like how I got here. I'm here mm-hmm. just like you, which means I'm qualified just like you. But they would find out I'm an Olympian. And it's like, oh, OK, mm-hmm. she's a famous athlete. That's how she made it in the room. Like, no, 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 no. I worked my butt off just like you. Like I said, I passed the CFP exam. I studied for the CFP exam just like you. I'm building this business from the ground up just like, you know, many of you are. The undertones of what I felt very frequently as I joined the industry and the kind of like, how did you get in this room? Where did you come from? And what makes you allowed to be in this room was pretty fierce. All of you have very similar, but yet very different experiences, because not only are they in different parts of the country, they're in different industries, they're in different, you know, Angela talked about, you know, being in the car finance where someone just blatantly just calls you a nigger, like that racism. And realistically, this is going to sound weird, but I appreciate that type of racism. We know what it is. You know what it is. I know what it is. You call me what it is. Okay, I know where it's at. The racism that I can't stand is the interrogative, <laughs> the backhanded compliment the challenging our intelligence. I mean, Angela, you got more letters after your name than almost anybody I know. All three of you are CFPs. If you as a black woman have made it this far and been able to open up a firm and keep it open for, we'll say, as many years as you have been able to do it, not only are you just as good as all the white advisors, you're better than most of those white advisors because you've had to overcome obstacles that they haven't even had to imagine yet and still been successful and still had all the credentials and still like you've been able to overcome all that. So in my opinion, if I'm looking to build a business as an industry, I'm building my business with you guys because you have made it in spite of everything, you know, and I don't think people get that. But what I wanted to say is, you know, even down to the hair thing, because Chloe and I talk about this, like where, you know, Angela mentioned that your hair looks better straight. And it's like, well, you know, I I don't want to wear my hair straight. I'm wearing my hair natural. I remember one time I was talking to, I think it was you, Chloe, and I said something. Someone had said something about your hair. And I was like, well, where are they at? Who said it? (laughs) You know, like, who said it? Where are they at? What'd they say? What happened? And you were like, well, because it's different when, like, you guys have been the only black woman in the room and maybe not had that relationship with another, like, there's not another black man in the room, but I'll be damned if someone's going to talk, disrespect my sisters while I'm there. I'm going to make sure that we deal with that right now because that's just the way that I am. But we don't have a lot of us in the room together. And then I think that the aggressive, like the stuff that you guys are getting is a little different than what we get because they have to be careful because they're scared of us. <laughs> yeah, especially with the hair stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a long journey for me to get to the point where I actually, you know, loved and accepted my hair, loved and accepted my body. And, you know, just even thinking about just dresses like that we wear to work, you know, we had to wear suits or we had to wear dresses. And because of my body type, I felt like I couldn't wear certain things that white women could wear. And, you know, that it took me a long time to get to the point where I was comfortable with myself as I am because of things that were, you know, said to me how I was treated. I mean, it's totally understandable. And it's totally understandable why as women of color and black women in particular, that you would make the decision to have your own firm opposed to go work somewhere else with all this shit that you have to go through. So how can we change that? How do we change that in financial services? I know we've talked about it, but how do we change that perception, that feel? What do you think we can do? I'll say something real quick. One thing I can say about us is that as Black women in the financial planning world, I feel like we've really banded together. And every Black CFP woman that I know is reaching out and helping other Black financial services women 
get into these positions. And I have literally experienced that with every single black CFP. And sometimes I don't even know you and I'll send an email or a phone call. And next thing you know, we'll be having an hour long conversation. We'll be mentoring each other. It's such an amazing space because I think all of us understand that somebody helped us in some way or another, and we're trying to lift other women up as we climb, specifically other Black women, but women in general, you know, and the whole woman thing is a whole nother topic because, I mean, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I know when I first got in the business, I was going to lunch with people and whatnot. And then I would realize like, wait, this guy just wants to go to lunch with me. He has no plans whatsoever on moving his portfolio over to me. You know, and I was constantly coming across that. Or, you know, you go to association meetings or you go to this meeting, that meeting. And some, oh, have you met Angela? She's beautiful. Or the lovely this. Or it's just like, I'm a professional. I'm here like in a professional manner. I'm not here to be pretty. I'm not here to be your little cutie pie or whatever you want to look at me as. And it's just like you said, I have all the letters behind my name because I was scared that people wouldn't take me serious. So I went sure and I made sure that I could show somebody this is how serious you need to take me because I didn't want people like Chloe said, like questioning my like, why are you here? Like Lauren said, why are you here? I'm here because I know what I'm talking about. And I have this education, you know, I know what I'm doing. And someone once told me, you have too many letters behind your name. It looks like you're trying too hard. And I was like, I don't care. Cause I worked hard. I had to, you know, write 20 page research papers every single week to get here. And I want people to know my dedication to this profession. I want them to know my credentials. It's true. Like you just get questioned everywhere you go. Why are you here? You know, what do you do here? And, you know, I've even had working at a big firm, I've had people think that I'm like the administrative assistant. Like, you know, can I speak to the advisor? I've been handed drinks at financial planning events. Yeah. And I'm like, like, wait, what? I'm the advisor. Or, you know, turning to like, let's say I'm mentoring someone and I'm training them. So it may be a a young man, for example, and I have them in the meeting with me. I've had clients turn to the man and ask the questions. And it's like, I'm actually training him. (laughs) Like I'm the financial advisor here. You know, it's levels to it. It's like, oh, you're a woman. Oh, you're young. Oh, and you're black. It's so much. It's so much to overcome, like you said. Yeah, we're triple minorities. Yeah. In this industry. And even, and then you have to be like, uh, I'm actually a grown woman. I know I look young, like this melanated skin keeps me looking <laughs> young or whatever. I'm not a little, you know, spring chicken. I've been around for a while and I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you my age, but I'm not young. You know, it is a lot to constantly deal with. Yeah. And Emily, to get yeah. back to your question about how can we change, I think just sharing our stories mm-hmm. is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. In the last week, I've had conversations with friends, with colleagues that were white, and just sharing some of the things that have happened to me, some of the things that I experienced, things that I have to think about on a regular basis that they don't have to think about. And that opens people's eyes. Like people are just generally, if they haven't had these deep, tough conversations with black people, they don't understand. And so just having the opportunity to share our experiences is really helpful. That allows people to see like this really is a problem. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Lauren, you look like you have something to say. 
I was just going to say, I think the start to making a change is being more intentional. So like you said, in the Black community, amongst one another, to make sure that you are lifting yourselves and others up. But to say, like, you know, let me do a gut check. When was the last time I brought someone in? When was the last time I took a call from a new young lady that wanted to be in financial planning? Just keep doing those gut checks because we can get busy and we can get away from that stuff. But if we're not continuing to build, then we're not continuing to build. Simple. And on the other side of it, if it's a white individual that's looking to really be involved, you know, there's lots of emails going out right now with the, we stand with you. We stand with you as words. I'm going to need some action and to be once again, intentional about like, what actions can I take? When was the last time I had a conversation with a person of color in my office? When was the last time that I went out and did something that was actually going to make change and meaningful change in this community? You know, last ask somebody how they're feeling, because if all this is going on and you have a colleague in your office, they can probably barely get work done at this point the emotional stress that they're feeling is making them pretty unproductive. And instead of saying like, so-and-so is not doing their work, like maybe acknowledge that so-and-so has like the weight of the world literally on their shoulders right now. Be it, like I said, what their personal feelings are, the feelings they're being hit with via family members or friends, the way that they're personally being affected by other people, you know, what's going on in their social media feeds. There's so many facets to what is happening. You need to be intentional about what you want to do to make meaningful change as opposed to just saying, I'm here. I'm listening. I see you. You know, how can I stand with like the how is the important part of it? How can I stand with you? And then us having a good answer is another part that's going to be important. Not to cut you off, but I think it'll go in with probably what you're going to ask. But what do you guys feel about the people that are not saying anything or the companies that are not taking a stand on this? Angela, if your question or if you say doesn't line up with that, please say what you're going to say. And then we can get back to that question afterwards. Well, what I was going to say kind of does line up with that. You know, I had an experience and they said it was okay if I shared this, but you know, I'm on the board of the Financial Planning Association here locally. And we had a board meeting last week and I couldn't make it because I had a client meeting at the same time. And so later in the week, I sent an email to all the board members saying, hey, have we or are we going to be issuing a statement or anything? you know, because I think it's important that we bring this up. I think it's important that the advisors that are part of our association have information on how to, you know, talk to their employees, how to talk to their coworkers, how to talk to their clients about what's going on. And I received an email back from the president saying, hey, the topic came up in the board meeting, but we quickly moved past it and decided not to do anything, partially because we're very uncomfortable and we don't know what to say. That topic came up and it quickly got dismissed and we moved on with the meeting, you know, and then it was like in the second part of the email, it was like, but hey, if you want to say something, we support you 100%, you know, and so what I was going to say is that it's so important that we continue to have a seat at the table. You know, I thought to myself, like, what if I wasn't on the board? What if I didn't send that email? What if I didn't ask about this? What if I didn't bring it up? you know, they would have just moved on and wouldn't have even thought twice about it, right? And the conversation that I sparked has sparked deeper conversation. And now we're, you know, we're having an event this Friday and all that to talk about it. But part of me feels like it sucks that I'm having to step up and kind of be that person that does it. But at the same time, I'm realizing more and more every day how important it is that I'm involved, that I'm at the table. And it's been happening in all of the different groups, you know, and I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen it, but all the groups, it's like, 
we're having to step up and not only are we having to step up and say something, but then we're having to have each other's backs. Because if someone does speak up, there's, you know, 10 other people of other, you know, whatever backgrounds that are kind of like, why is this such a big deal? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so we're having to come back in and have each other's backs and speak up. And it's, you know, I'm in a ladies ledger group here. I'm in multiple groups and these conversations have been happening everywhere. And a lot of times I'm the person having to kind of lead that conversation. And what if I wasn't there? I think you bring up a very, very good point about you know, having <laughs> representation, because if we don't have representation, then we can't have a voice. But as we look at people and they reach out to us and they're telling us, hey, you know, we want to help, right? We want to help. You want to help me? Then represent me when I'm not in the room. Represent my, me and my interest when I'm not there. This brings us a seat at the table. If you don't have any Black board members, get some. If you don't have any Black employees, get some. If you've been in this financial services industry and you run a firm, you have a company and you don't have any people of color working there, right? Like get some immediately because if a person has been here over the last two weeks and still is saying, I don't understand how important, why this is so important. I almost said something just out of, <laughs> I almost said something that I normally would say if we wasn't recording, but if they don't get it by now, if they can sit there and watch that video, which I haven't watched the complete video of George Floyd, I won't, I can't, because I just can't do it. If you can sit there and watch what they did to him, to Breonna Taylor, to, you know, any one of the victims and say that this, why are we talking about this? Then I can't fool with you no more. Like I really would like, you're, we can't be friends. Like I just can't. And I think that that's when the dollars start affecting what's going on. Where is my money going? I'm not going to support a company that takes a stance and says, I support people that I don't support, you know? So I think that that's one of the things that we can change in the industry. But I think with that going on, like what does true allyship look like? Like when we have an ally to you, ladies, what would you say a true ally would look like? I just wanted to piggyback off of that real quick. It's not mm -hmm. just important to hire us, but also to retain us and not to create a toxic work environment that pushes us out. Because, you know, that's a big problem. It's like people get so excited about, oh, well, you know, I've hired a diverse team or, you know, I've met the quota. But what have you done to keep that person there? If there's constant turnover, if you can't keep those people there, then you're not really helping the cause. What's the culture like of the company that you're building, right? Right. I think culture is always a word that they like to use. Anything else, ladies? A white client shared with me exactly what you just said today, Chloe, is he is very pissed off at the way things are being handled at his place of employment because they are not retaining. And he feels like he's done all the work to hire and that the overall culture, they're saying, like you said, we check the box, they're here, okay. They don't want them on their team. And like he was actually fuming because the letter of resignation had just come in for a person that was resigning because the company culture was not in line. And he's like, I'm only one person. So, you know, you have people that are, like you said, allies. You know, you're asking about allies. We have allies, but they can't get anybody else that looks like them to get on board so that they can continue to move forward as well. So I think all of us are lacking resources. And if that's where the banding together really needs to happen is when you find an ally to make sure that you're supporting the ally in the same way the ally is trying to support us. And speaking of allyship, you know, what comes to mind is, first of all, someone who just cares. 
Because I feel like a lot of times, I just feel like people are like, oh, this doesn't affect me, so I don't care. So just someone who cares. And I, I've been making this statement on social media a lot lately, but you know, if, I'll say this. I have dogs and I love dogs. But you see a dog being abused, right? And it's like public outrage on social media. Everybody's hunting down the person who abused the dog. It's like a big deal. People are posting crying emojis and it's like a big deal. Or, you know, but then you see what happened to George Floyd and they're like, crickets, haven't posted anything, you know, or also the young children of immigrants that were locked in cages. You don't care about children being locked in cages. You don't care about black people getting murdered. And then they'll say, well, I don't post about stuff. I don't post that, whatever. But you post about a dog dying. It makes me feel like you just don't care about me. You don't care about my husband. You don't care about my children. You don't care about my father. You just don't care at all because it doesn't affect you. And I had this conversation in one of my groups because I told them, you know, if something were happening to you, I would be right there and I would have your back. I would speak up. If something happened to your family, your kids, whoever, Angela would be the first person to be taken off my earrings. Like, mm -hmm. where are they at? Just like what you said, Emlyn, like, I got your back. I don't care if you're white, yellow, red. I don't care what color you are. If somebody is doing something to you that's unjustified and I feel like it's wrong, I'm going to stand up for the underdog. That's always been me. So it's very hurtful when stuff is happening to us and people don't care. And they, oh, I just don't feel comfortable saying anything. Like, it's like, yeah, because you have the privilege of not caring. You have the privilege of not watching the video, right? Like a lot of people have said, oh, I didn't watch the video. And to me, I've been posting that video everywhere. I want y'all to watch it. You know, because unfortunately, we don't have the privilege a lot of times of looking the other way or ignoring what's going on. Like, we don't have that privilege. Yeah, and, and historically, I mean, Black women have side by side with white women and the women's rights movement. You know, it's like we are always helping other people and standing up for other people. And I don't feel like we get that same respect. No doubt about it. Like, when you sit there and devalue the life of Black people here in the United States, and it's so deeply rooted into the culture of our country that people can say that, oh, well, you know, I don't want to talk about that, but it's okay to talk about the dog, but you don't want to talk about this man, this human being that was killed, you know? And I think that that is the state of the country that we live in. However, with what we've seen here recently, I'm telling you right now, I went and did a protest last Friday here in my town, and I live in a small community, about 80,000 people here. And we had some high school kids put together a protest. The BSU kids put together a protest. And when I walked through the street and I seen white people there with Black Lives Matter signs, when I seen white people with signs that said, I can't breathe, don't shoot. I said, they got our back because our T-shirts that said, I said, you want to be an ally? Put on something. You want to see what it's like to be one of us? Put on a Black Lives Matter shirt and just walk around. Just put it on. You get to put on what we have on all the time, you get to put it on and kind of feel what people think about you as this ally, if you will. Put it on and see the looks you get from your people. See the attitude you get from your people and embrace that because this is only a small portion of what we go through as Black people in general, in our workplace, in our day-to-day -day interactions. We haven't even talked about being pulled over by the police. Like We haven't talked about that at all. 
But there's something to be said for those people. And not only white, I've seen someone that had uh, Latinos for Black Lives Matter. I love it. I'm with that. I like that. Because that to me, going out and protesting, getting elbow to elbow and working with people of color and fighting for the reform that we need is going to take that type of effort to get there. And I'll say this, and then we'll get back to what we were talking about, but Dare County Sheriff deputy had made some racist comments. This is after Friday. He had done this, one of the deputies had done this on a social media a while back, and they found it and they fired him immediately. We had the rally on Friday. They found out about it on Saturday. Within 90 minutes, he was fired. That's the kind of stuff we need. The police chief was out there speaking with us. We also had the sheriff out there, and then we had the superintendent of schools. And it's that type of gathering where you get to hear the police chief say, I need to see this sign that says Black Lives Matter. I need to see this sign that says, don't shoot. I need to see these signs and I need to read them out loud. And I need to make sure that that's what's going through my mind when I pull someone over. That's what's going through my mind when something happens, because I have to be more aware of the way that I conduct myself, because if I conduct myself wrong, someone can die. And with that being said, what would you say are actionable takeaways for people that are trying to help? Because I think there's more people that are trying to help than there's more people that are getting on this and trying to help us than we have that are trying to take away from it. We had, you know, the stuff with the people looting and all that. But I really believe like when you can go there and see how passionate some of these people are about the cause when they actually have had it brought to their attention. Now they understand what's going on and you can't unsee what you've seen. So what would you say are some of the actionable takeaways? Well, the first thing I'd say is you're going to have to go dig deep and find your courage. I used the word being intentional before, but everything that you just described, Emlyn, is all about being courageous. Putting on a Black Lives Matters t-shirt is an easy kind of step in the courageous direction right now because there's so much other talk going on. On a regular, when none of this has happened, once this conversation has died down, pick up that shirt as a white person and put it on. That's courageous. So upset right now with the people that are being quiet, I know that's one of the big kind of undertones of the conversation is like, silence right now is unacceptable. I'm okay with you being silent as long as you're truly sitting for a second to think about what you can do. Because I think what also is happening right now is we have a lot of people jumping in saying, I'm with you, like I said, it's lip service. And lip service doesn't lead to action. We need you to be courageous and we need you to make some courageous actions moving forward. So if you're going to sit over to the side, ponder, take it all in and come up with your grand idea for how you can actually make meaningful change, I'm all for you being silent right now. I don't need you to speak up. Your silence is not going to be offensive to me. If you never say anything, you've decided you can't be courageous, you've decided to kind of punk out, then it is what it is. But there's lots of things you can do. So one other thing you can do is start hiring Black. Like We've talked about it a couple times during the episode already. It's to be very intentional about bringing Brown people people of color into whatever your workplace is. And it is hard. It is hard because we are minorities. There are not as many. So you may need an engineer to fill this position. And the pool of black engineers is this big, but it is worth it. And it is major when you go through the extra effort to make sure that you find some black candidates before you go through your hiring process, because inevitably you will have more majority members than you will minority members. But to go out and do the work and invest the time in finding someone so that you can at least have a broad scope of candidates would be a courageous step in the right direction. You can also start to buy Black, which is also something that is no easy effort. As a Black person who tries to do it on a regular basis, it is hard. You can't just Google Black graphic designers and 
five options pop up. You know, you get graphic design in general. So where do I go to figure out, you know, who it is when I need something? You got to start dipping your toe into the communities. As a person of color that's in the community, I, I can hit one of you up and say, hey, does anybody use, you know, a black graphic designer? Does anybody use website designer or something like that that you can put me on with? We have a community. So if you're white, you've got to reach into this community and say, who do I know that is a person of color and how can I get connected to their community? Because it's not an easy find, but it's a worthwhile investment of my time to ask somebody about all the different services. And I mean, just to even sit down and make a list of the things that you're using on a regular basis and where could that even be outsourced or, you know, be um, sourced via a black business or a small business. Those are little things that I think would be a good start. Yeah, I can add to that. I do agree like with what Lauren said. And especially in the financial services industry, there's a handful of HBCUs that have CFP programs. And, you know, if people can go and use those schools to help recruit talent, um, that's a good way to get Black candidates. Uh, The other thing would be to promote Black voices, Black businesses, uh, anything that, you know, people can do to help uh, just amplify, like, our voices and make sure that people know that there, there are people like us out there doing good things. I know there are some allies who, you know, they go to conferences and they say, I want to see Black people on stages. I want to see Black people speaking to audience and not just about diversity, but about a specific, you know, technical topic. So I think those are good things as well. And also, if you just think about like your centers of influence, if you're a financial advisor, you know, the CPAs that you work with, the attorneys that you work with, especially if you have Black clients, are you referring your Black clients to all white people? Do you have a good network of diverse people that you're referring your clients to that can understand their needs and what's specific to them? Love it. Great. Angela, I know you could add some. Come on, Angela, add some to this. Angela? Everything that they said is so on point. And I think also that the interactions people have on a day-to-day basis behind the scenes with each other, I think that, you know, anyone, Latino, whoever, that if you experience something that someone says that is a racist comment or, you know, something going on behind the scenes that you speak up and you express that that is wrong. I think that there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors and, you know, people say things, they do things, and they think that that's normal culture and that it's okay. And sometimes people feel uncomfortable calling them out and holding them accountable and saying, hey, that what you just said is inappropriate. You know, and I think it's like sometimes those small things too, because I'll just say this, coming from a mixed interracial family, I've seen some things on the inside. And I think when you're at the dinner table or you're, you know, hanging out with friends and people are saying inappropriate things that people need to start saying something and speaking up. Letting people know that racism is not going to be tolerated by any of us, like any of us. It can't just be black people that are worried about racism. It has to be everyone worried about racism. That's the only way we can combat it. And it's not just racism for black people, even though that's what we're talking about right now. But there's tons of racial slurs for every ethnicity out there. And we can't stand for it either. Like, I want people to know that obviously we're not going to let no one talk about anyone. So if someone's saying some comments about another race, we're going to step in and do that. And I think we have done that. (laughs) And so I think we can continue doing that. And I was thinking about resources. And I don't know if you guys had any resources, any websites, anything that you can think of that, okay, go, Angela's shaking her head. So yeah, go ahead. Talk about some of those resources for people. 
Well, you know, Rianca has 2050 trailblazers and it's completely dedicated to this topic. And it's not just for black people, it's any type of diversity and inclusion topics. And she has a new guide to allyship. She has podcasts, she has white papers. There's a ton of resources on there. And there's also, you know, on, if you just Google it, there's reading lists of books you can read. You know, for companies and firms, there's diversity and inclusion experts and specialists you can hire to come in and do training or to do kind of an overview and help you with implementing things. Right now, there's a ton of podcasts, there's webinars, you know, there's so much information out there right now. I think it's just a matter of people wanting to learn. And then there's also us, like reach out to your Black friends, reach out to your diverse group of friends and have conversations with them about these topics. It doesn't have to be such a taboo subject all the time. No pressure. This conversation that is currently being had is more than a hashtag. It's more than a t-shirt. This is affecting people's lives. And I challenge you to be intentional and I challenge you to be courageous as you become a part of this conversation and to follow that up with action. What I'll say with some of the resources, definitely uh, one of the podcasts that I like is going to be Revisionist History. Uh, If you haven't heard that before, Malcolm Gladwell does a great job of explaining the way things happen in history and then giving some facts behind what happened in history. That's one of them. There's some books that you can read. The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander is a great one. Black Wall Street is another one. And then there's one called The Meaning of Freedom by Angela Davis. And those are all books that we'll put links in the podcast to. But is there anybody? So what I'd want to do is I just usually have some closing question for people. And just as a parting gift for the people that have listened, what would you give as a parting, you know, words of advice for people that listen to this episode? And we'll start with Lauren, we'll start with you. Don't be afraid to invest in yourself. If we really want to move the needle in what we're trying to accomplish, it is going to take the expansion of dollars and time in yourself so that you can be a better person, so that you can continue to move everything forward. So definitely, whether it's investing in a financial planner, investing in a financial planner for someone else, like you said, if it's a therapist, if it's a speech coach to make you more articulate in the rooms that you need to be in, like... Yeah, take some responsibility for being able to move us forward by moving yourself forward. Nice. Like it. Like it. Chloe? Yeah, I have two things. I'd say just generally for our community, you know, the racial wealth divide is huge and it has not improved over the last 50 years. I think, you know, as much as we can do to just help ourselves and just get some financial guidance, financial education, don't be afraid to ask for support that can really just help us to do what we need to do to to try to close that gap. And then also just prioritize self-care, take care of yourself. As far as even asking for help, don't be afraid to ask for emotional support. Don't be afraid to go to therapy. This is is a really tough time for a lot of us. I agree with every last thing that Chloe and Lauren said. I think the only other thing I can add is to surround yourself with other people who lift you up. Like you're not alone. There's a community out there of others. You know, there's us. 
and get around these people because, you know, I think that there's power in numbers, there's power in having mentors and having people you can talk to yes. that understand what you're going through and can kind of help you through. That's one of the things I wish I had back in the day. I wish I had other Black women financial planners that I could talk to as I was going through these hardships. And I didn't have that. And I think that's the only other thing I can add to what they so brilliantly already have said. I'll add another one too, because I'm really passionate about this is so not just at the polls, but vote with your dollars and look at these companies that are out here making statements. Don't just look at the statements, look at their boards, look at their executive teams, Um, look at what they're doing that's actionable talk to their employees that are black, see how they're treated, see how they feel about the culture and vote with your dollars, represent the companies that are representing us. Awesome. One, I want to just thank all of you ladies for coming on and talking and sharing your heart and being so open, candid, vulnerable. I can't thank you enough. I think that anyone that listens to this is really going to get a better perspective of what it is like to be a black woman in this industry, a black woman in the United States. And what they can do to help us, to help themselves, and to help the greater good of the cause that we're trying to fight right now, which is equality and justice. So this is typically, like I said, thank all of you. And I can't thank you enough. I'm excited for this to drop. I know we're going to get a lot of good feedback on this. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. This is the We Need to Talk series, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time, I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, and we're signing off. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.